Hey, we are so thankful that you're taking the time to tune into Grumwatt Church's podcast. It's our hope that this is an encouragement to you as you draw closer to Jesus. If you'd like to find out more about all things Grumwatt or for more info on our in-person gatherings, you can check us out at grumwatt.com. Now lean in. We're expectant for how God is going to use this time to speak to you today. Seriously, we are really, really thankful that all of you are here this morning, whether it's your 100th Sunday at Grumlaw, or, or perhaps this is literally your first Sunday checking us out. We definitely don't take that for granted. Honestly, thank you for making Grumlaw a part of your week. And I'll kind of issue a challenge or an invitation, depending on how you want to look at it. Uh, will you come back for at least three weeks? Uh, and the reason I say that is every single week is unique. Every single week is different. And, and we just think it'll take at least a couple of weeks for you to really get an accurate feel of what Grumlaw Law is all about. So come back for three straight weeks. And frankly, with like technology and the internet and everything that affords us, that, that's actually easier to do than we probably realize. For three straight weeks here, keep coming back, keep moving closer to God, and he will always move closer to you. Now, you might have already figured this out based on said bumper that really thumps. Uh, we are smack dab in the middle of a series right now titled Theology, where we are exploring the theology or the doctrine of salvation. Uh, admittedly, it's unlikely a topic that you have given much thought to before this point, but an important one for sure, both for the person who's just beginning to explore Jesus or for that individual who's been at this church thing for, for quite a while. Now, for those of you who are just beginning to explore, you ought to seek to have at least a, a baseline, at least an elementary understanding of the Christian faith before you go all in. And the content that we're covering in this series, it's foundational. As in, you dare not go any further if you cannot at least get on board with this. And for the individual who's been at this church thing, well, for quite a while, it's pretty shocking, right, how much we forget how much we need the refresher, especially in the midst of a culture that seems to be heading in the complete opposite direction. It's important to regularly reorient ourselves towards our true north. And admittedly, even if you grew up in church, there's not necessarily a guarantee that you have been taught this stuff before. Now, I'm going to sort of incriminate myself by making this next statement, but churches make way too many assumptions. As I've been saying in this series, if we don't teach you about this stuff here, where else are you going to learn it from? Now, now, that's certainly not to insinuate that you can't find this information anywhere else, but the reality is, come on, most of us just won't. And we find ourselves in a culture where I am seeing and sensing a curiosity among people like I have never seen before. And there's probably a lot of different reasons as to why that's the case. And we as followers of Jesus ought to be able to answer some basic questions regarding the Christian faith. So I made this a point of emphasis last week, and I'm going to make it an even stronger point this morning. If you have not been here for the entirety of this series, and I totally get that, by the way, I'm not chastising you for that, please make sure you go back and you catch yourself up on those previous weeks at grumlot.com messages, or you find us under Grumlaw Church, wherever it is that you grab those podcasts. This is especially important this week, as today is really part two, or the second half of like a 60-minute sermon that we began last week. Because I'm smart enough to know that for most of you, if I started preaching for 60 minutes, well, you all probably wouldn't keep coming back. It's like, Shay, you don't understand. It's not you. I just don't have that long of an attention span. Never mind the fact that you had no problem ripping through season four of Stranger Things in a single evening, but I guess I see where I stand. 
noted. But seriously, for, for today to make complete sense, you have to go back and listen to last week. But, but just in case you haven't been here, and just so you're not swimming in the dark, in case this is your first morning with us, let me kind of give you the 90-second recap. In part one, we talked about justification, the, the means by which we receive salvation or are declared righteous or are justified in the eyes of God which comes about only by placing your trust, your faith, your belief, synonymous terms in Jesus and belief in Jesus alone. It is only through the redemptive work of Jesus on the cross that we will be declared righteous or are justified in the eyes of God. And this happens in an instant, just like that, we get that right standing back where we're justified by placing our faith in Jesus. But then last week, we began to unpack, as already alluded to, sanctification, the process by which the follower of Jesus is becoming more like Christ. To sanctify something is to set it apart for special use. To sanctify a person is to make him or her holy. So, so, so justification, as I just said, happens in an instant, but sanctification is a lifelong process. It's a journey that, like all journeys, will have ups and will certainly have downs. Moments of incredible highs, mountaintop experiences, as well as valleys, incredible lows. And then next week, we're going to talk about the third and the final part of the doctrine of salvation by unpacking glorification. Get God's final removal of sin from those who have been justified in the eternal state. Instead of being mortals burdened with sin nature, we will be changed into holy immortals with direct and unhindered access to God's presence, enjoying holy communion with him throughout eternity. Justification, sanctification, glorification. Y'all are getting so much smarter at church these days. The talk of your neighborhood is you're just casually dropping justification and glorification bombs into everyday conversation. Now, back to sanctification. Again, the process by which the follower of Jesus is becoming more like Christ. Now, now last week, as mentioned, uh, was really, again, the first half of like a 60-minute sermon where we most notably addressed why, why you should be pursuing sanctification. Why is this something even worth pursuing? So if at any point during this message, you assume the posture of a high school student sitting through calculus, and you think to yourself, this is so stupid. Why are they even telling me this? What a waste of my time. And, and for all you high school kids that are listening right now, you, you need to hear this from your pastor. Calculus is a waste of time. <laughs> but... <laughs> If you have that attitude towards this message, you need to please refer to last week's message because I tried to meet many of those reservations head on. Last week was why. This week is all about how we go about pursuing a holy life or becoming more like Jesus. Now, now the reason in this message I'm using that language, holiness and becoming more like Jesus synonymously, is because this is exactly the life that Jesus lived during his time on this earth. Think about that. He endured all that is the human experience, and yet he, he never sinned. I mean, just think about that. He never told a lie. He, he never deceived anyone. He, he never stole. He never lusted. Uh, and when we think about all the stupid stuff that we just do in like, like a 48-hour period, it's rather breathtaking that Jesus lived 33 years on this earth, and, and he didn't slip up even once which, as we spoke about in part one, as we explored justification, uh, allowed him to be the only person who could offer himself as the perfect sacrifice for us and our collective sin problem. Now, the temptation at about this point in the message is to think to yourself, well, 
Jesus was only able to pull that off because he is God. And while that statement is partially true, yes, he is God, there's an insinuation there that Jesus sort of cheated his time on this earth. And this isn't just something insinuated by those who are new to their faith. This is not so subtly hinted at by pastors, religious leaders. People who have been at this church thing for a pretty long time. But that could not be further from the truth. In a letter that we have in the New Testament, that second half of the Bible titled Philippians, the writer there, Paul, reminds the hearers, the readers, he reminds all of us, though he was God, speaking of Jesus, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. When he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on a cross. Translation, Jesus emptied himself of his godhood upon stepping foot on this earth. And in turn, he took upon himself all the limitations that are intrinsic to human beings. He became just as human as you and I. No sidestepping the rules. No turning on the magical powers when he got himself into a jam. No, he gave up all of those divine privileges. And church, I just kind of want us to collectively pause for a moment and just admire the humility of Jesus. The God of the universe humbled himself to a degree that we will never be able to fully appreciate. Jesus, God, allowed himself to be dependent on his mother. The God of the universe said, sure, I'll subject myself to to being potty trained. He he allowed self-righteous humans to hurl insults at him. He spent three years establishing Christianity among a group of people who almost incessantly doubted him. He would allow himself, God, to be spit on, beaten, and nailed to a cross, all because he loves you that much. All because he looked forward to the resurrection and the opportunity for you to now be redeemed. That is a love, in my humble opinion, worth exploring further. So through the person of Jesus, we see God empty himself of his divine privileges, become fully man, but yet he never sins, not even once. Now, there's exactly one person who has been able to pull this off perfectly during his time on earth, Jesus. And so if we're going to pursue sanctification, the process, again, I'll remind us, the process of sanctification And if you're already, again, thinking, why would I do this? Again, I'll remind you, please refer to the first half of this message, which was given last week. If one guy has been able to pull this off, I think we would all be wise to follow his life as the blueprint as we attempt to be more like him, as as we are sanctified. How are you supposed to pull this off? It's a very worthwhile question. Because on the surface, holiness or pursuing a holy life would seem to be a fleeting investment. It would seem, right, impossible, which has led many people, mind you, to to quit really before they they even start because a quick inventory of your own life, whether you're a Christian or or not a Christian, doesn't really matter, will show you that you constantly let yourself and the people around you down. So, So let's just get good at apologizing and 
move on. But but fortunately, as mentioned last week, and more importantly, as modeled by Jesus himself, again, the only person that's been able to pull this off perfectly, we're given three tools by God himself as we pursue sanctification. And I'm going to mention right here on the front end a couple of important details that'll save you a lot of grief and a lot of heartache in the long run. First here, you don't get to pick and choose from the three, these three tools as we pursue sanctification that we're about to explore. That They're not mutually exclusive. It's all three or none at all. Now, that's not to say that individually they don't have their own value, they don't have their own merit, but if you want any chance of truly living like Jesus, you have to utilize all three. Now, now I'm making a particular point of this because we live in a consumer culture where we really appreciate the freedom of picking and choosing as we see fit, as, as best supposedly fits our needs. But when it comes to sanctification... God has already determined what best suits our needs. We don't really have much of a say in the matter. And if that doesn't sound fair, or maybe there's something inside of you that resists that, I I understand that. But remember, he he did die for you. So respectfully, get over yourself. You need all three. Don't give room for self-deception that maybe you can get away with just using two or maybe just one and disregarding the second one or the third one. You need all three. The next point I wanted to make is it won't be easy, but it will be worth it. Pursuing holiness is is no easy task. I mean, seriously, think about it. We're setting the bar about as high as it can possibly go. Live like Jesus can be pretty intimidating. And when, I want to make a point of emphasis on that, when you inevitably fall short, it can feel like failure. But God knows our shortcomings. And when we stumble, his grace is more than sufficient to pick us back up, slap us on the rear end, and get us back out there. And even though this can feel like an intimidating race to run, remember, as we talked about last week, it comes from a heart of gratitude. So overcome by by what Jesus has sacrificially done for each of us, we want to give our lives to him. And that same spirit, and some of you, you really need to hear this, that same spirit of love and grace that led Jesus to give his life for you reminds you that shame and embarrassment have no place in our lives as we pursue holiness. God has never used shame or embarrassment as a tactic, not even once. That the same grace and love that died for us will be there to lift us right back up again when we do stumble. And when the end of our lives come and we meet our risen Savior face to face, we will long to hear the words, well done, my good and faithful servant. You will be so glad that you ran the race with endurance with all of its ups and and with all of its down. You will declare it was worth it. Jesus is worth it. So three tools, and mind you, tool feels a bit like a cheap word to refer to this stuff, but (laughs) I just couldn't think of anything that felt better. So if you have any suggestions, I'm certainly open to it. Uh, But number one, as we talked about last week, his word. Now, now, if you grew up in church, uh, you've likely heard this verse that I'm about to read right now, spouted off a hundred different times, spoken about in a hundred different contexts, but few people actually slow down enough to truly reflect on what the writer is actually saying here in Hebrews. 
In Hebrews chapter four, we are told, for the word of God is alive and powerful. It's sharper than the sharpest two-edged sword, cutting between soul and spirit, between joint and marrow. It exposes our innermost thoughts and desires. Now, now, church, admittedly, there's a lot in that one verse, a lot that we could unpack. In fact, we could take literally an entire Sunday just to preach on this one verse. This fall, we're actually going to do just that. But but let me kind of give us the 5,000-foot view of what the writer's getting at here. You want to know who your greatest threat is? Who or, or what has the greatest opportunity to undermine you? Undermine your your dreams, your marriage, your parenting, your friendships, your career, your your life. Well, well, that's, of course, you. See, one of the most common questions, if not the single most common question that I get from people is, how do I figure out what God's will is for my life? More on that here in just a moment, actually, in case you carried that question in here with you today. And then once we figure out or we supposedly figure out God's will, how do we protect it? How do we bring that to completion? How do we bring it to fruition? Here's a very, very powerful thought that has quite literally changed my life. No power of hell, no principality, no person can prevent God's will for your life. Only you have that ability. Your lack of obedience or we could say your disobedience, or your inability to get out of your own way, to self-destruct. That the word of God is alive and powerful. It is sharper than the sharpest two-edged sword, cutting between soul and spirit, between joint and marrow. It exposes our innermost thoughts and desires. The writer here is pointing out something that, that every single one of us actually already know to be true. That That's actually all I do around here, by the way. I just plainly point out stuff that you actually already know. You are your own greatest threat. So so enter scripture. Enter this book that we call the Bible. Enter God's word, synonymous terms. His word that doesn't just tell us something that happened, but rather what always happens. As advanced as we think that we have become as human beings, human nature really hasn't changed which makes this book sharper than a two-edged sword as it deciphers between truth and lies, as it seeks to protect us from, well, us. I've been making this point a lot lately. The Bible really more than anything else, it's a love story. It tells the tale of a loving father desperately trying to win back the attention and the affection of his most prized creation, you and I. But, but perhaps a 1B to that point, and what the writer of Hebrews is getting at here is his word, the Bible, Scripture, is the instrument to distinguish between truth and lies, joint and marrow, soul and spirit, deception and reality. It, it cuts through the lies that, that we all tell ourselves, which ultimately lead to our own undoing and exposes where we have been deceived. The line between truth and lies, more than I have ever experienced, at least in my lifetime, continues to get muddied. And his word doesn't just point us to a version of truth, it is the truth. 
This book serves for the follower of Jesus as our true north, reminding us when we've wandered off the path and we believe the lies, pointing us back to the truth, the truth that does not change. In his word, and I promise you that I would come back to this, we are provided with the general will of God for every single one of our lives. Now, the Holy Spirit provides his specific will, but the general will of God is sitting here right in plain sight for for anyone who would like to pick it up. This is why we around here at Grumlaw, we make a big deal of, of that daily encounter, that daily time spent with your heavenly father. And a good chunk of that daily encounter ought to be time spending reading, meditating, journaling, underlining his word, allowing his word to shape our thoughts and convictions rather than the other way around. A very regular occurrence for my life because of what I do for a living is is people will come and, and they'll ask for my advice on a myriad of different topics. It's often a very humbling experience. Maybe one day it's on finances. The next day it might be on parenting. It might be on marriage advice. It is all over the board. And oftentimes the answer to the questions that I am being asked is as black and white as black and white gets. And so very confidently, I will point to this thing and I'll tell you, hey, this is what you ought to do in this scenario. And not always, but sometimes people come back when people do actually happen to listen and they'll say things to me like, wow, like, how did you know? I mean, that was just spot on. I am so glad I listened to you. You didn't listen to me. You listen to this. You listen to God's word. It is in here. Church, we as followers of Jesus need to stop praying for answers to questions that God has already clear as day answered within this text. For, for some of you, that's been one of your biggest turnoffs towards this whole Christianity thing. You, you, you see so much hypocrisy. You, you, you began to actually pick up and read this thing. And you're like, this just doesn't really line up with what I see in the lives of Christians. And that should be a turnoff. As followers of Jesus, general will provided right within this text. I I make this joke all the time. This thing is a gift for us. God didn't write this stuff down for for himself because he was worried that one day he'd forget. No, he knew that we would forget. Too many supposed Christians are ignoring the very text that is supposed to inform our consciences and our thoughts. Church, you cannot expect to lead a holy life without spending significant time in his word and allowing this text to expose you. Number two, his church. We go back to our writer here in Hebrews. He says, let us hold tightly without wavering to the hope we affirm. For God can be trusted to keep his promise. Let us think of ways to motivate one another to acts of love and good works. And let us not neglect our meeting together as some people do, but encourage one another, especially now that the day of his return is drawing near. Why would the writer, just some random questions thrown out to us, why would the writer here tell us to hold tightly to the hope we find in Jesus? Might it be because he knew that we'd lose hope. And why would he tell us to think of ways to motivate one another to selflessly serve one another? 
probably because he knew we would inevitably retreat to selfishness. And why would the writer tell us to encourage one another? Because he probably had a hunch that every single one of us at some point, probably multiple points, probably a lot of points, we would get discouraged. And how does the writer here tell us that we ought to go about solving all of these little dilemmas that, that mind you, if they go unchecked, will lead to bigger dilemmas? <laughs> he tells us to meet together. Gather together with other followers of Jesus who will point you to Jesus when your hope is waning, who will encourage you to serve others when you inevitably gravitate towards selfishness, who will encourage you when you need to be lifted up. Grumla, none of this happens in isolation or via social media or, I dare to say it, even at church online. I am thankful for the opportunities that technology affords us. But I'm sorry, online is never going to replace real face-to-face -face gatherings. We need one another. And that does not happen from a distance. It always happens face-to-face. -face. Now, I have to tread lightly here because I don't want to disparage anyone who's been maybe using online as this tool that you've been tuning in now for the better part of two years. We are so thankful that you are watching right now. But if you are using this as an alternative to, to real face-to-face -face human being interaction with other followers of Jesus, it is going to fall woefully short. And, and to that, I just say, I, I want to invite you to show up. Just show up at one of our physical locations. Make that a priority here as we head into the fall. I know that routines sometimes run deep, but, but choose to break that cycle and get in community with other people who are also pursuing Jesus. Following Jesus was never intended to be a spectator sport. It was never meant to occur in silos. It's always been a team sport. We need one another. And mind you, that does go beyond simply showing up here on Sunday mornings. It's truly getting involved in people's lives. It's where people know where you're winning and where you're losing. People who are encouraging you when you're down, pointing you to the source of joy when you have no joy. I stumbled across this quote at some point uh, post-COVID, post the lockdowns, and uh, it really stuck out to me from Reverend Tony Evans. He says, I hear people say, I don't have to go to church to be a Christian. And they're absolutely right. Salvation is through faith alone and Christ alone. But you don't have to go home to be married, but stay away long enough and your relationship will be affected. There will come a day for every follower of Jesus, no matter how strong, no matter how independent you may be, where you will need this faith community. Real life people to lift you up and remind you of why you started and who you started following to begin with. And within the church, there will be times where God longs to use you to be the body of Christ for others. It was a couple of years ago that a friend who actually goes to Grumlaw, at the time he owned a gym. Half of it was a CrossFit gym, and then the other half of it was normal people gym, like, like me. And he had been in my ear for a better part of like six months. He's like, hey, coming up on Memorial Day, we got this big event called the Murph. And he just kept referring it to the Murph. And I didn't really look too much detail into it, but eventually I said, all right, fine, I'll participate in the MRF about a month before the MRF was set to occur. But then I finally Googled it and I realized it basically meant that you got to run like multiple miles, do like 
3 million push-ups and a bunch of sit-ups, all these things that seem to me might, might actually kill me. Now, now, knowing this, I recruited another friend who goes to this church, my friend David. I was like, hey, you, you got to do the Murph with me. There's also a team approach that we can take. If I try to do this thing solo, I am in a lot of trouble. I need you to do it with me. And he's a guy that works out a lot. He's at the gym a couple days a week. And he's like, sure, I'll, I'll participate with you. And, and that day, let me just tell you, the day on Memorial Day, that morning when we participated in the Murph, it was genuinely one of the worst experiences of my life. But I did complete it. And there's not a chance I would have completed it without my friend David next to me the entire time. I would have quit a hundred times over because it was so incredibly challenging. That The church isn't a building, it's a people. We need one another as we pursue sanctification. We need that holy encouragement. And so on that note, I'll tell you, just about a month away, we'll have connect group signups where we challenge you to get out of the rows on Sunday mornings and into circles in people's living rooms. You actually get to know other people, and this is less of this thing that you just show up to for, for an hour a week. I'll also invite us, we often do, to jump on a team. Now, I'm not going to lie to you. Yes, we need people to serve around here to do what we do on Sunday mornings in particular, but it's more than that. It's building community, real relationships with other people whom you are serving alongside of. Get on a team, get on a connect group here less than a month. If you're showing up during the month of September, you will not be able to miss connect group signups. We'll have them on like every day of the week at all different times. There should be one that should fit every single schedule of every person that's watching out there out of the rows into circles. And then number three, his spirit. In John chapter 16, one of the, one of the guys who, who laid witness to Jesus' entire earthly ministry, he writes to us there, he, he records for us the words of Jesus, but I am telling you the truth, and this is again, Jesus speaking, it is better for you that I go away. Because if I do not go, the helper, the Holy Spirit, the advocate will not come to you. But if I do go away, then I will send him to you. This last January, uh, we spent six weeks talking about what I'm going to attempt to unpack in about uh, three minutes. So seriously, if the Holy Spirit has ever been confusing or a source of misunderstanding, you got to go back and listen to that series titled Better, uh, which actually derives its name from this very verse. But, but, but this is Jesus himself saying to the disciples, the very individuals that he has just spent the better part of three years with, that it will somehow be better for them if he leaves this earth so that the Holy Spirit can be sent. Now, now, why would Jesus say that? It's because Jesus, better than anyone, he understood what God in spirit is capable of in the life of the person who is willing to yield themselves to him. No longer, like we see in the person of Jesus, is God limited to one place at one time. Now God is with every person who puts their trust in Jesus. And if you're listening right now, and this sounds maybe a little bit far-fetched, remember the very person who is uttering these words is the very individual who has been operating in the fullness of the Holy Spirit for the entirety of his life. The, the, the person that has turned water into wine, the person who, who's had specific words for specific people at that perfect moment, the person who gave sight to the blind, the person who endured the human experience and emerged victorious, not sinning even once, the person who would be brutally tortured and put to death, then three days rise from the grave. That man, Jesus, who completely emptied himself of his godhood, but then operated in the fullness of the Holy Spirit, he would actually go on to tell us, I tell you the truth, anyone who believes in me will do the same works I have done, 
and even greater works. <laughs> now, come on. How could Jesus have the audacity to say something like that? Make no mistake, it's not because of his confidence in you or me. It's because he was fully aware of what God in spirit, the Holy Spirit, the helper, adequately named, was capable of through you. And it's only through the indwelling power of the Holy Spirit that we have any chance of being holy, set apart, like Christ, sanctified. How are you supposed to pull this off? And admittedly, I kind of baited you into that question. You, you can't pull this off, not on your own. You need His Word, His unchanging, always true Word. You need His, His church, not a building, a community of people who are moving towards and pursuing Jesus right alongside you, encouraging you when you need to be lifted up. You are the source of encouragement when other people need to be lifted up. And we absolutely need His Spirit, the Holy Spirit, the helper living inside of us, dwelling inside every follower of Jesus. It is only with these, walking in the fullness of all three, that we will walk through the gates of eternity and hear proclaimed, well done, my good and faithful servant.